What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant. But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Jamie Snow is an innocent man. That's something that I am 100% convinced of. He was a victim of two crooked cops, cheating prosecutors, and a litany of felons who traded Jamie's life for their own. On Easter Sunday, 1991, Jamie Snow was at home with his family. He wasn't at a house party in downtown Bloomington. He wasn't angry because a gas station attendant wouldn't give him a pack of cigarettes. Like most people... He spent his Easter at home. But that's most people, not everyone. In 1991, Bloomington, Illinois had a relatively low crime rate. In fact, there were only two serious crimes committed on March 31st of that year. One was, of course, the murder of Bill Little. And the other occurred at about the same time and may be related to Bill's death. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. In one of my very first conversations with Jamie Snow, as he was walking me through all of the missteps in the investigation into Bill's murder, he mentioned that there was a car stolen on that very night. I didn't think much of it at the time. What does a car theft have to do with a murder? But a little while back, I received a tip that now has me thinking twice.
I spoke with Jamie earlier this week, and we discussed, amongst other things, the stolen car. The crime scene technicians were processing the crime scene at the Clark Station. They got a call to leave the Clark Station and go process a stolen car, which was a, it was a Monte Carlo, and it was abandoned off of Six Points Road in Bloomington. So they went and processed the car. The only thing we could ever get from them about the car was, was we got a few pictures of, I guess they were, it was at the towing yard, so we got a few pictures of the car, and uh, we got a VIN number, and we got a, we got a license plate number. And we've tried to follow up on the VIN number and the license plate number with the Illinois Secretary of State, you know, and they've basically said, we don't have any records of it. You know, we don't know, we don't, we don't know anything about the car. We do know, we got a memo, we got a memo turned over to us in, in a FOIA request, I think it was. And, um, in the memo, it said, check, and this was like in 1993, so this would have been a couple of years after the, the crime had happened. It said something like, check with the crime lab to see if there's any matches between the stolen car and the, the Clark station. If there's any forensic matches. So, you know, as late as 1993, they were, they must have recovered something or they, they, they processed the car. They got something from it and they were trying to match whatever they got from that car with, with the crime scene. And they've stonewalled us the whole time. I mean, you know, the state attorney's office, you know, they're like, we, we, we don't know nothing about the car. We don't have any records. The Illinois State Secretary of State's office, we don't know anything about it. We, you know, and, it, and it's amazing to me because I watched this, this car show, you know, that's based out of Texas. I, you probably heard, you, I know you've probably seen a gas money garage. Mm -hmm. And they, they get these, these barn fine cars or these, these, you know, they find these cars all over the, country and and their old cars in the you know 40s and 50s and 30s and, and and whatever and they can track the history of that car all the way back to people that owned it you know and really that's what that's really what we tried to do is we tried to figure out who may have owned that car so that we can go to them and say okay when you got the car back you know what condition was it in did they ask you any questions you know i mean if they found the cash register drawer that was stolen from the gas station in the car, I, I would imagine they would ask the people who own the car, you know, would would there be any reason for this to be in your car? You know, so that's that's basically what it is with the car. I'm just suspicious by the fact that there's just absolutely no record of it. That just piques my interest. Well, and, and the fact that there you find this memo from 93 where they want to check any forensic evidence between the two, but then there's never any follow-up from that, right? We never see any forensic reports. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You know, I, I wanted to point something out. You, you had asked me about the forensic testing and stuff, you know, and and the state's kind of been fighting us all the way. You know, there's there there were two things that were left at the crime scene by the person that killed Bill Little that nobody can argue with. I mean, it's an absolute fact that the killer left him at the crime scene. Do you know what that is? What's that? It's the bullets. Right. It's the bullets, man. I mean, it's the bullets. Nobody, the state could never argue that, well, you know, 
It's a gas station. There's fingerprints there, you know. So maybe it's not the killer's fingerprints. Or there's shoe prints, or there's this, or there's there, there, there's that, you know. And that's how they try to explain everything away. But they can never explain away them bullets, man. And 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 it is just unbelievable to me that they won't let us run those bullets through the integrated ballistics identification system. So that's something that you have requested and they've denied. Oh yeah, we 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 requested it and they denied it. But they don't. They can do it on their own, Bob. They don't need us to to fight them to do it. They can do it. It's the one piece of evidence that nobody can can ever deny that the killer left at the crime scene. And you don't want to do every single piece of testing on that that evidence that you can possibly do. It's 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 ludicrous to me. Well, it's it's interesting too because you know there's new technology out there now. Where I've seen where they've actually pulled DNA off of bullets from inside of a body. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, here's here's another thing too. You know, and maybe you know somebody out there listening will it'll maybe trigger something. You know, but they're the bullets were unique. You know, they weren't just your regular garden variety bullets that you pull out of a, a box of shells. Whoever fired those bullets had cut the tips off. Mm-hmm. They'd altered the bullets, and you know they cut the tips off of them. So you know it makes me wonder. You know, I mean, are there other crimes out there where the mo is somebody using ammunition where they cut the, the, the tips off the bullets? And I mean, does is, is it possible that someone out there would know of somebody that used to do that? It's just one of those things that they've really drop the ball on their forensics, man. And it's, it's just unbelievable to me. I mean, if you think I did it, if the McLean County State's Attorney's Office believes I did it, then why wouldn't you want to track them bullets down? I, I think they're afraid they don't <laughs> they don't want to know whether or not those bullets can be matched to any other crimes that would definitely not be able to be attributed to me. That's the only thing I can think of about why they wouldn't want to do it. It, it definitely seems to me in a lot of these cases where the state's attorney's office is fighting any testing. It's, in my opinion, it's usually because they know that any testing is certainly not going to help their case, and it's probably going to hurt their case. So they come up with every excuse possible not to do the testing. Yeah, it's just crazy, man. It just, I sat and I thought about, you know, after we hung up the last time and you said, you know, what, what can we do? You know, what can we do now? And, uh, you know, we've been trying to find Gerardo Gutierrez for, for years. Mm-hmm. The last time we've we seen him, he was in the Orlando area. You know, we've been trying to find him. There's thousands of dollars of reward money that just is missing, just gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and, and I wrote the state attorney's office and had filed FOIA requests before I was even sentenced, saying, hey, w- w- what happened to that reward money? You know, I'd like to know who got paid, you know, because I know they were paying people. Right. And, uh, you know, before I'd even gotten sentenced, they were saying, we don't know. We have no record of it. We don't know. We have no no record of it. So, you know, may, maybe someone out there knows who who had gotten paid. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of strange that Danny Martinez testified in my co-defendant's trial that he was he was 85 percent sure and then changed it to a to 100 percent sure when. When he testified in my trial, I'd like to know if he got any money between <laughs> between his testimony, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There was a truck. Somebody in a truck had pulled into the parking lot. Jeff Pilo had said that, you know, there was a truck in the parking lot at the same time that Danny was in the parking lot, that he told him to go across the street. Right. 
you know, we'd like to know who was in that truck. Because were they in the parking lot at the same time that Danny was in the parking lot when he claims to have seen this mystery man? You know, we've tried to find the people that was in the truck on that night, you know, and it's, you know, so, so there are still, there are still things that we can do. Right. You know, I wanted to update you too, before I, before I let you go, I did, as promised, after, after we spoke last, reached out to Don Knapp and requested an interview and he promptly emailed back and declined to discuss the case. Let me guess. Let me guess. Did he did he claim that he didn't want to talk about it because it was still under litigation? Uh, he didn't claim anything. He emailed me right back and said that <laughs> we are declining the interview request. Jamie has always believed that the stolen car could have something to do with Bill's murder. The theft occurred at the same time, on the same day, and in the same part of town. But it doesn't seem like investigators even considered the fact that the two crimes might be connected. At least their records don't indicate that they looked into any possible connection. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. After speaking with Jamie about the stolen car, I reached out to Ray Wilson. You've heard me mention Ray several times this season. He's a retired police chief who's been investigating Jamie's case for years. I wanted to know what Ray's thoughts were on the stolen car. First, if you could tell tell us, Ray, who who you are and what you're... I know, I know you were a police officer out east. In what capacity did you work as a police officer and for how long? Okay, well, I was a police officer in, uh, in New Jersey for 37 years. I started out as a patrolman when I come out. Got out of service, and I retired as the police chief of the department. Okay, and then how did you get connected to Jamie's case? Well, my wife knew Jamie when he was a teenager. She was uh, his juvenile advocate. She was out of college, and he was a teenager in trouble. And she knew him then, and then she left the state, and they lost touch. Then she found out that he was arrested and convicted of of the murder and was in Joliet prison. And she started a correspondence with him. And she would ask me questions about it, about things that he said in his letters or whatever. And I just, I just said, the stuff doesn't sound, doesn't sound right. It's not, not a way a police department would normally function. I just, too many issues, and she'd ask me more questions, and I said, that's that's not right either, and we would go from there. She finally uh, said a couple things about information, and I told her questions to ask for, uh, for a FOIA request, and she submitted some of them, and we would get the papers back, and I would look at those reports, and I was even more convinced of there were some big issues here. And the more I followed it and kept looking and reading, I just says, he, he's this, Jamie's not, not uh, guilty of this crime. I don't know how they put it together. I couldn't follow it like a lot of, uh, a 
lot of things you found, uh, just the way it was put together, the reports, you know, follow-ups, issues with the investigation, and it went from there. I've been digging probably over five years. I've probably filed 60, 70 FOIA requests myself to not only Bloomington and Illinois State Police, I've filed reports with the with the ATF and departments in Florida and Mississippi, you know, following all the the witnesses and people involved in this case. And just any any information I come up with, I would just take it another step further and ask a couple more questions and go to that department and see what happened. So the, what I wanted to talk to you about today, Ray, is early on in my conversations with Jamie, he mentioned to me that there was a car stolen on the same night as Bill's murder and that there had actually been crime scene investigators from Bill Little's murder's crime scene who left to go investigate this this stolen car. There doesn't seem to be a lot of information on it, uh, but you seem to be the person that knows the most about the stolen car that night. So can you can you tell me what you know about the car and kind of what process you've gone through to figure out what we do know? Well, with the with the car, there's not a there's not a lot. That was mentioned in the crime scene report for the Little Murder that the crime scene tech and the the state police crime scene tech were going over to this garage where there was a car recovered. And that's the only mention of it. There's no, not, not a lot of details of what they did. They dusted it. They took some pictures. We've put the pictures. We've received the pictures in one of the FOIA requests. Are those the pictures in the, the files of the crime scene photos from Bill Little's murder? There are some photos of a car, a Monte Carlo. A Monte Carlo. That's it. That's the car. That's the car that was recovered. Were those included in that file, or did you guys put them into the file? We put them into the file. The FOIAs came... The FOIA issue is one whole big side story. <laughs> the first request we got had, you know, just some police reports. And just questioning more, I said... I've never seen a crime scene where the police department did not have a diagram, a crime scene diagram. Mm-hmm. So we would send it, we would send another. I sent another FOIA request, and it would come back. It's probably my mistake with saying I want the crime scene diagram and any documents that support this. And they sent like another thousand pages back. All the original ones we had, and plus a couple extra ones and stuff like that. And that's the way it's been every time. We've asked for, it mentions a report. We will ask for that one report, and they will, they did a big data dump with everything again. But back to the car, I, I don't recall if the pictures came, if pictures came in one of the FOIA requests. Uh, I'm not sure the original one or, or somewhere along the line. And from, from that, I sent another FOIA request just for the stolen car report because they treated it as a separate crime. And they gave it back to me saying, okay, here's all we have is the uh, computer-aided dispatch uh, incident entry that said there was a recovered stolen car at the time, the officer's location was found, and, and nothing more. 
and no, no other reports. They said in their response, they said this was a no, no arrests were made, and it's just the retention period for the records has expired. So if there was any kind of fingerprints or dusting or anything attached to that car, Bloomington police or records destroyed it. It was gone. So we didn't get anything from there. You know, we did what was with the serial number and did a car fax and had some information back and forth of who owned it and stuff like that. As it was said that you you called or one of your one of your callers called and said they had some information about it. Who who had it that night? Who may have been involved in stealing it and joyriding it? But it's a statute a statute of limitations for anything with that being a stolen car or anything is, is gone. That's most of the problem is there's never a follow up report on, on pretty much anything they did. I think we even asked the state police if they had any documents on the stolen car, and they they said no. Right. So there's nothing on the car, and it's. It's just interesting that with the the crime rate in Bloomington not being high, that there was, from what I've seen so far, just skimming through newspapers and stuff, it seems like there was only two major crimes that occurred that night. One was Bill Little's homicide, and the other was the theft of this vehicle, and they both seemed to occur right around the same time. Uh, It was, and I I mean, I haven't looked at a map to see how far away the, the recovery was or you know, where it was stolen from or any of that either. What's your feeling, just your gut feeling? Do you think that the two could be connected? If we could figure out who stole the car, that it might be a lead that could lead us to some more information on Bill's murder. If if we knew who stole the car, I mean, that would, <laughs> I mean, if nothing more than the question and to eliminate them. Uh, and that's, that's the one thing in this case that, that always bothered me. They never eliminate anybody. They just, you're blowing the wind and it's gone. Right. Well, it sounds to me somehow we need to figure out who stole the car. Ray sent me all the files that we have on the stolen car, which don't amount to much. First, we have a crime scene report from the Illinois State Police. Weaved into that report on Bill's murder, we find this section. Quote, At 1 p.m. on April 1st, Crime Scene Tech McKinley and Crime Scene Tech Kalal arrived at Brown's Record Service located at 308 North Dinsmore Street, where CST McKinley processed a light gray-slash-green 1983 Chevy Monte Carlo that had been stolen from the east side of Bloomington on March 31st and recovered on the west side of Bloomington on March 31st. This vehicle had 1991 Illinois registration WK9939, VIN 1G1AZ379IDR108847 and mileage 60,012.7. CSD Kalal observed that the ignition switch and the headlight switch were in the on position. The photographing and processing of the vehicle were performed by CST McKinley. At 2.10 p.m., CST McKinley and CST Kalal departed Brown's record service. The exposed photographic film was mailed to the Bureau of Crime Scene Service Photo Lab in Springfield. Upon receipt, the photographs will be forwarded to the Bloomington Police Department, and the negatives will be maintained in the crime scene case file. End quote. That little blurb in the crime scene report is all we have on the stolen Monte Carlo, other than a few photos of the car and a dispatch record. 
The dispatch record shows the car was stolen between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. on Easter Sunday and that it was, quote, administratively cleared on October 28th of that year, which means that basically Bloomington PD gave up on trying to figure out who stole the car. And the only other information that we get from this report is the names of the two reporting officers, Jeffrey Klepek, K-L-E-P-E-C, and Richard Davis. And we get the address of where the car was stolen from, 1005 East Grove Street, Apartment 1. A quick Google search reveals that the address is an apartment complex known as Apartment Mart, and it still exists today. Apartment Mart, the location where the car was stolen from, was located just eight-tenths of a mile south of the Clark Station. Bill Little was shot and killed at around 8.20 p.m. on March 31st at 802 East Empire Street. On that same night, a car was stolen and dumped from an apartment complex less than a mile away between the hours of 7 and 10 and the Bloomington PD made little to no effort to figure out who stole the car. The case of the stolen Monte Carlo has gone unsolved for 28 years. Until now. With the help of a tipster contacting me, we now know the exact identity of the men who stole that car. Right after I aired the episode where I played this answering machine message, I received a tip from a listener. Oh, buddy, you sound like a fucking asshole. And I want to talk to Gina because her boyfriend just died. Yeah, motherfucker. The tipster wanted to remain anonymous, but she did allow me to record our conversation. The call that you're about to hear is the tip that represents the first solid lead in Bill Little's murder in over 28 years. Keep in mind as you listen that up until today, I have never once mentioned the stolen car on the podcast. The only way that our tipster could have known about the incident is through her own personal knowledge. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me what uh, you kind of you, you give me a brief synopsis in your Facebook message, but just explain to me what it is that you experience and and how you think it might relate to the case. Okay, that kid was killed at the Clark gas station. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was all over the media after the fact, of course. Well, that night, I was sixteen or seventeen, and. 16 or 17-year-old kids lived on Grove Street, East Grove, in an efficiency apartments that are there. Is that close to the gas station on Empire? It's not far. Okay. So I went over because we did juvenile things. Well, we went there. I went there, and they said, they showed me a set of keys. And they said that they were, their neighbor had left the keys in the car and they're just going to take it around the block. Well, I waited and then, of course, they didn't come back for a very long time. I can't tell you how long it was, but it, it was a while. Mm-hmm. And the police were out there talking to the neighbor because her car was stolen. And I was afraid, so I hid in the back, like 
didn't want him to know anybody was in there. But they came back and their adrenaline was going, what have you not. And they were scratched up from running and ditched the car, what have you. One of them happened to say, yeah, my friend that worked at Clark Gas Station, Bill Little, was shot and killed. Well, we didn't have social media then. Mm-hmm. And they're not, it's not going to be on the air that day. Right. Well, especially not the, the name. Do you, do you remember when they, was it dark out? It was dark. Okay. When they left, it was dark? It was getting to be dark, yeah. Okay. Were there any parents there home or whose, whose apartment was it? It was two of the guys, two of the kids, because they, they didn't live at home with their parents. Okay. So were you living still at home at the time? Oh, I was living at home with my mom. Okay. So is what I'm getting. I'm trying to get an idea of maybe the time of night when they came back. I mean, did you have a curfew? Did you go home that night? Did you have any? Oh, yeah, I went home that night because as soon as they got home, they're like, we have to go. They're like, we're just a mess and our adrenaline and everything is going. So you need to go back home. And so I did, because I didn't want to be no part of their little escapade of stealing a car. Right. Did you have a a curfew when you were a teenager? Yeah. Do you remember what time you usually had to be home? On the weekends, Friday and Saturday, I had had to be home by 12. But other than that, I had to be home by 10. Okay, so this was a school night. It was a Sunday night. Right. So you think you had had to be home by 10? So it must have been before 10. It was probably eight. I want to say in my mind, probably eight or nine that they came home. Okay. So it wasn't super late. No, it wasn't super late. Okay. Do you know what kind of car they stole or the color? It was a light green or blue. I want to say almost like a older Monte Carlo or a Buick. Okay. Something with that type of body style. Yeah. It's not like the newer ones that they have. It's like the box sheep ones almost. Sure. So if I'm understand this right, so somewhere you said it was it was kind of getting dark when they took off and took the car. Mm-hmm. So that night would that would have been around seven ish or so. Yeah. A little before seven, and you had to be home by ten. I'd say like at eight thirty or nine is when they pulled in, but they and I don't know. Like, I want to say 8.30 or 9. Okay, somewhere somewhere around there. The police arrived on the scene of Bill's murder at 8.21. Uh-huh. So, you know, it no one, there's no way anyone knew who what his name was before 9 o'clock, or no, no one should have known what his name was. Is that, is, was that what got your attention? Yes. And then I heard a voice recording on a cell phone, or not a cell phone, but an answering machine. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, God, I know that voice. And it kind of sounded like one of the kids that took off in that car. The one we played where the guy was talking about Jenny or Gina. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you think you recognize that. Do you, do you remember, and you don't have to tell me on the air. We can I can talk to you off the air. Yeah, I know the name. Okay, um, I you can tell me the name and I will not. I'll I'll bleep it out or pull this part out, but um, I would love to, I need to know the name to be able to look up. Who was it? Uh-huh. And he was kind of a teenager? Yeah. 
And is is he the one that that said that he knew? Do you say one of them said that their friend Bill Little or that they knew Bill Little? Yeah, he's the one that said it. And then on that recording, it sounded like his voice. Okay, was were they any of them intoxicated or anything? No, not that night. No. Okay. Well, let's talk about your memory just for a minute. How do you know that it was that night and not, say, the the next day? Because it was Easter Sunday. So it was Easter Sunday. Do you recall like what you how you end up over at their house on the night of Easter Sunday? I always went over to their house just to hang out, listen to music. Okay, and that was so that was after. I'm assuming. Did you guys have any you know family gatherings or anything? Yeah. Okay, so once all that was over, you went over to your friend's house, and then you guys were just saying, were you the only one left when you said there was three boys that went and took the car? I came in, and they showed me the keys and told me what they were going to do is just take it around the block, but did not because they were gone for too long. They said a county cop followed them, and they scattered, but they came back all scratched up. I remember that. And then they said that I needed to go home, and I did, because I didn't want to be no part of this. So they they left? They said right when they left, there was a county cop following them, or somewhere down the line, a county cop? Somewhere down the line. Okay. And they ditched the car and... Yeah. And got back to the apartment on foot? Yeah. Okay. It's, It's interesting you mentioned that, because there's... I have to check and see. I don't have all the details about it, but there was a car theft that night across uh-huh. town that it was it was thought that maybe it may have been connected but none of the and i've only been told that actually jamie told me about this but he said when they tried to track it down there was no police reports and there was nothing in the files there's like a little note somewhere where i believe he said where they were going to check that car for any physical evidence to see if it connected to the bill little homicide but then there's no report of them actually going and checking the car so i don't I can't imagine there was a whole lot of, you know, that there was another, a third or a second car robbery at the, on the same night. I doubt it because Bloomington wasn't like that back then. Right. And did you live close by there? I lived on Locust Street at the time. Okay. And that's Locust Street. Well, that was right kind of around the corner, right? Yeah. Well, not around the corner. I mean, it was walking distance. I mean, at anything at that age is walking distance. Right. So you walked there and you walked home. Yeah. Did you go to Bloomington High School? Yeah. Okay. And you were in high school at the time? No, I was actually, I was in beauty school. In beauty school. Okay. So were you, does that, were you, was it after you were graduated from high school? No, I quit high school and went to beauty school. Okay. Gotcha. And these boys, this t- and do you know, do you remember the names of the other friends? I do. What were the other names? You're bleeping these out, right? Yeah, I'll probably remove this whole part. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how to spell his last name, but he goes by now. By what? He thinks he's an animal rescuer. And then. Let's help. Do you know if they ever got caught for that car theft? Nope. They never got caught? Nope. That's really, really interesting. So they, they, so, so they left estimating sometime around probably between six thirty, seven o'clock, took the car, said they're going around the corner. They show back up eight thirty, nine o'clock, scratched up. They were on foot and, and 
says that his friend Bill Little was killed that night. Yes. Do you remember? Did he give any details? Did he say he was killed? Did he say he was shot? Did he give you any details? I can't remember. All I remember is he's saying that name and that he was killed. Okay. But I found that kind of weird. As this whole case is like being exploited, I found it kind of odd that he knew before there was social media. Well, and the thing that's, that's interesting to me, I you know, and, and there's no way for Snow exactly when he got home. It would be wonderful if we did. But is the fact that they got back home on foot, which means so they, they weren't in a car listening to a radio broadcast. No. Or anything. Do you, do you remember the name? So it was it was it was efficiency apartments on Grove. The name of the apartment people that rent it uh-huh. is apartment Mart. Apartment Mart. Yes. That's what it was then. Yeah, it still is today. OK, so it's still there today. Well, that's great because I can look up and see about how far it was from the station and try to tr- triangulate where the uh, where that car was found. For right now, I think that's that's all I need to get started. I'm actually going to be right after I got the phone with you. I'm going to get in touch with Jamie's attorneys and we're going to start digging. See, I was trying to find their number to get a hold of them, too, but I could never find the way. But then I seen you and I had to message you because somebody needed to know. Right. Well, I'm glad you did. And I've got a direct line to his attorney. So I'm going to let them know because I know that the car theft issue was something they were looking into years ago and hit a dead end. And you may have just cracked that lead wide open. Oh, good. So um, but I will I will be back in touch to see if we need anything else. And I'll and I'll and I'll keep you up to date if we get any new information. And if their attorneys need to call me, you can feel free to give them my number. Okay, I will do that for sure. Because I don't want somebody sitting in prison for something somebody didn't do. The names of the car thieves have now been turned over to Jamie's attorneys. And the hunt is on. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineering by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I'd like to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month. And we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. 
Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email, theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.